Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here at First Christian Church, and uh, thanks for braving the roads and joining us. Um, <laughs> last night, I was, I'm quite convinced, by the way, that Satan is the prince of the air, and maybe he's in charge of ice and snow, because if you pay attention, it always happens on a Saturday night. And so I'm very glad you're with us today, all right? Uh, if you're a guest with us today, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and welcome to First Christian Church. Welcome, everybody, both in the East and West Auditorium. It's very, we're very glad you're with us today. Thanks for joining us here. I'd invite you to take a Bible, please, in both rooms. Maybe you've got one on your smartphone. We're going to look for Judges, um, chapters 19 through 21. We're going to eventually end up in the, at the end of 21, but uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't own one, uh, in the East Auditorium, there's some people moving around with Bibles right now. They'd be glad to give one to you. And uh, here in the West, if you'll notice there's one in the pew rack in front of you, we'd be honored if you'd take that home as our gift to you, all right? And uh, uh, so uh, we're, we're stepping into a crazy uh, sermon today. So hang on, all right? Here we go. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was getting dressed for work, and the TV in our bedroom was on. It was 6.45 in the morning, and you know how you're getting dressed, maybe 6.30, somewhere around there, I, uh, but you're getting dressed, you're, you're get doing your stuff, and, and the TV's kind of going, you're sort of listening, you're waiting to hear what the weather's going to be like and everything, and I heard this announcement, which I thought, what? That they had just heard, WND had just heard from their parent network within just a minute, few minutes before that, that Matt Lauer, the host of the Today Show, had been fired overnight, and that the Today Show would be making an announcement in that regard. Now, this was on a Wednesday morning. Wednesdays, I'm always a, try to be aware of what's going on in the news because I know I have to be on the air later on that evening. And so what might be coming to me on WSOY, what people might be calling in about and so forth. So here I, f I found myself sitting on the edge of the bed at seven o'clock waiting for the Today Show to begin. It seemed important that I have that information in hand. And sure enough, first thing right out of the gate, they announced that the guy who normally stars the Today Show had been fired just a few hours previously. This is how CNN reported it later. Lauer's sudden ouster came as a shock to viewers, but not as a complete surprise to his Today Show colleagues. They knew that Variety and other news outlets were investigating Lauer's off-camera conduct. The New York Times was in touch with an accuser who then met with NBC lawyers and human resources officials on the Monday evening before the firing. So he gets fired Tuesday night. All right, so this is the night before, Tuesday night. She's chatting with a lawyer and the people from NBC. The accuser's attorney said it was a three-hour-long meeting. My, de my client detailed egregious acts of sexual harassment and misconduct by Mr. Lauer, he said. Monday night, Tuesday, an investigation ensued on, in, on Tuesday. A decision was made to terminate Lauer's employment on Tuesday evening, a swift turnaround time. NBC News chairman Andrew Lack, a close friend of Lauer's, called and talked to him according to a source not with knowledge of the process. Lack told staffers on Wednesday morning, basically as the Today Show is going on the air, that Lauer was accepting of the decision and expressed remorse. And what you had then was a dramatic fall from the lofty heights of national admiration to the depths of national disgrace. And I think the whole nation was stunned. Of course, he's not alone in this regard. Uh, the news has focused a great deal in the last few months on the issues of sexual harassment and misconduct, and uh, the Me Too movement has snared all kinds of national personalities involved in bad behavior. I considered giving you a list. I went, did some research of all the people of prominence, most of them men, who have been caught up in this and who have lost their jobs. 
and there were many. In fact, too many that it, I, I thought, we don't have time to go through everybody today. So uh, what's, what, what's taking place in all, mostly men's lives, is this um, a record that has led to public and personal disgrace, frankly, because of disgraceful choices. And what's the church to do about this? Or I guess more importantly, what does the Bible say about this? Well, we're going to take a run at that today, along with some very tough topics. And this series that we were involved in, today's the last week, so we go, thankfully. Okay, so this series, Murder and Mayhem, Stories from the Book of Judges, has brought us some strange tales. That's because the book of Judges, which covers some 200 years of ancient Israel's history, it has a lot of murder and mayhem in it. And the story we're going to look at today is the most troubling and difficult, the most graphic of all the ones we've looked at. So I, I have a challenge in front of me. How can I tell you this story with some gentle and some genteel language? Does that make sense? I've got a, um, we do have children here and um, adults. I need you to read between the lines. You today, or even as we're talking here today, might want to look at the story. It begins in Judges 19. It's gruesome. It's terrifying. We told you as we started this series that the, the book was not G-rated. This is not something you read to your seven-year-old when you're putting him or her to bed at night, okay? It's horrific. And I suspect this is the first time you've ever heard this story mentioned in church. I'll tell you it's the first time I've ever preached about it. And so in light of all of that, you need to be aware that my approach to this sermon this week is significantly different. You know, like last weekend, we looked at a rough story, but, but usually within a context of a sermon, we like, you know, we'd like to mix in some humor and, and make things a little bit lighter along the way. And the message last week lent itself to some legitimate humor. You need to know today, that is not the case. There is nothing funny about this, and there are not, we're not taking any departures to say, what can we smile about today? Because this is a difficult story to hear, a difficult story to process, and a story, frankly, that needs some people to mourn over it. There is no humor today. All right? You all set for that? So, with that in mind, let me give you two notes that would be helpful as we review this story. First of all, uh, judges, when you're looking at throughout the whole book, and particularly here 19 through 21. This is, um, I want to remind you that Judges is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's not that the Bible is telling us you should go out and do what you're reading about. No, it's describing some very poor and horrific choices that people made in the past. That's the first thing to be mindful of. Second thing is that the horror of Judges occurred because ancient Israel failed to have a consistent basis of morality and ethics. And that that understanding is most clearly seen in the very last summarizing verse of the book. If you'll turn to chapter 21 all the way to verse 25, you'll see there are very few standards for public and personal life. It reads this way. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And you go, okay, isn't that how we do things? Well, it might be, but it's, Scripture is pointing out this isn't a good idea because the problem with that is, is, okay, so I see fit to do this. This behavior seems appropriate to me. What I deem appropriate may not be the behavior you deem appropriate. And so who, who wins if everybody just does as they see fit and there are no morals and no ethics? Who wins? And then secondly, if we get together, come together and say, okay, we deem this is appropriate, who says that what we deem is appropriate is appropriate to God? And so the result of that, everybody doing what they seem fit, you know, you, whatever seems right to me, whatever feels good, in the book of Judges, you see it over and over again. You see chaos, 
you see murder and you see mayhem. So the story starts in Judges 19, and I'm not going to read it out loud because frankly it's gruesome. What you have as you start at 19 are deep troughs of despair and violence. This pain comes wave after wave after wave. Violence, poor choices. And we're just going to kind of go across the tops of all those waves of despair and highlight the key moves of the narrative. It's 3,200 years ago from now, 1,200 um, or so B.C., at, at that point, the land of ancient Israel had been divided in, into, if we were to put it in our language, it's, it's not biblical language, but we would say the land had been divided into 11 states. Israel had 12 tribes, 12 groups of families, and it'd be like, say, okay, all of us who belong to the tribe of Dan, we're gonna be, they were given a place that was called the state of Dan. Could you think of it that way? And everybody in that state would have had Dan attached to their name somehow, somehow or other, the son of the son of the son of the son of Dan. Or it would be everybody in this portion of the country are all Reubenites because they, they have Reuben attached to their name. And that was the land that as, as, the, as the land was portioned out, all the Reubenites lived there. And there was, there was one tribe that didn't get land. So there were 12 tribes in total, but only 11 got land because the 12th tribe was the tribe of Levi. And the Levites were the clerics of the nation. And they weren't, they weren't assigned to a specific space because they were to be working in all the 11 other places. Now, one of the states that was assigned, um, or one of the places of land, was assigned to a, one of the smaller tribes, a tribe called Benjamin, one of the smaller family groups. And on one day, beginning in chapter 19, a Levite priest, so a Levite is one of the ones who doesn't have personal or family land, if you will, but travels around and they live in different places. And a Levite priest and his concubine, common-law wife, if you will, um, different world, different time. They were traveling through what we would call, if you will, the state of Benjamin. Everybody in that space has their name attached to Benjamin somehow or other. And they stopped for the night in a small town. And while they were there traveling through Benjamin, a very violent act occurs. You can see it in verse nine, chapter 19, beginning at verse 25. Two of them are traveling. The woman is sexually assaulted over and over again by a group of Benjamite men all night long. And she dies as a result of the violence. Long story short, that act of murder committed by a group of men soon became known throughout the entire nation. And the nation began to talk about what were they going to do. And once that discussion got underway, I mean, it barreled down, that discussion barreled down the rails very, very quickly to the point where very quickly the whole nation was inflamed. Now, it would have been appropriate to punish the men involved. The Israelite law would have called for capital punishment in this particular case. But in the heat of the national rage, it was decided by 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 the 10 tribes, if you will, and perhaps the Levite as well, has decided that the entire tribe of Benjamin, anyone who was associated with that name, anyone who lived in that state, it was decided that entire group of people should be annihilated. That the entire group should pay for the atrocity of these few men. And so with that, the nation invaded Benjamin's space. They invaded Benjamin's state. It was civil war. You could say it was war against anyone who was connected to the name of Benjamin. If you had that name in your family's history, you were a goner. And in the process, 
the entire tribe of Benjamin, including old people, men, women, and children, the entire tribe was wiped out, annihilated. Thousands died, except for 600 of Benjamin's soldiers who escaped out into the wilderness. And they were out there, okay? So here's what you've got. You've got an act of violence against a woman that requires some sort of justice to be done. But instead of dealing with the men involved in that, the whole nation said, we hate those people so much. It was racial. They just said, we're just going to kill everybody associated with that. And so they swung the pendulum really to one far side. But then after a period of time, the winners of the war, after they've killed all of the Benjamites, except for the 600 guys out in the desert, they realized, well, we've actually just killed one of the families and one of the tribes of our nation. And that nation is going to disappear because there are no women for the 600 men to marry. They're all dead. And while in the midst of this national rage, they they said, during the war, we took a vow that no daughter, no woman from us will ever be given to marry a Benjamite man. So the 600 guys out in the desert are going to be the last generation of Benjamin that lives. And somehow or other, while the pendulum is way over here, they think, well, that just doesn't feel right. So we've got a problem, though. We can't break our vow that no woman from us is going to be given in marriage. And they swing the pendulum all the other way. But we could say to the Benjamites, if you could steal women, it'd be okay. You go, are you kidding me? That's what they said. So they said, we're going to have a party in Shiloh. And we're going to make sure all the young women are there. And good luck. Read with me. Judges chapter 21, beginning at verse 20. So they instructed the Benjamites, saying, Go and hide in the vineyards and watch. When the young women of Shiloh come out to join in the dancing, rush from the vineyards, and each of you sees one of them to be your wife. Hello? I mean, sexual assault? Okay. Then return to the land of Benjamin. When their fathers or brothers complain to us, we'll say to them, Do us the favor of helping them because we didn't get wives for them during the war. You won't be guilty of breaking your oath because you didn't give your daughters to them. Your daughters were stolen, in other words. So what happened? That's what the Benjamites did. While the young women were dancing, each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. Hello? This is ridiculous. This is kidnapping, right? Then then they returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and settled in them. And after that, what happened? At that time, the Israelites left that place and went to their home to their tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance, and said, we're all good now. Why is that? In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So, frankly, the pendulum swings from vengeance. We're going to do those people in who did this, and all their brothers and sisters and kids, we're going to do them all in, and it swings from vengeance to absurdity, allowing for forced marriages of young women. Why? Well, it's because it says, everybody did as they saw fit. Now, I want to remind you again, this is a description, not a prescription. That's the first reminder. And then secondly, we have to acknowledge that we view this through a um, 21st century Western mindset. That's the lens at which we look at this, okay? And we'd say, this would never happen in our day. 
And I want to go, really? Really? How about the two events of Christian women in Syria who were recently kidnapped by ISIS and forced into conversion and marriage? Sexual assault, right? We have some indignation and some like, you're kidding me when we read the book of Judges. How could people do that? Do we have the same level of indignation about what's happened to the women in Syria in recent days? Or do we just say, well, that's the book of Judges, and that's over there, and so be it. Hmm. Perhaps you could talk about that this afternoon. That's the story. In light of the story, can I give you some observations? Acknowledging that we could spend a long time on each observation if we had time, but we don't. So I want you to listen fast because I'm going to talk fast. How's that, all right? Some observations regarding the violence of Judges 19 through 21. First of all, in the midst of this, part of the problem was that there was no nation, national unity was lacking. The nation was united around one thought. Whatever feels good, you do it. I don't care if what you do, as long as it doesn't impact me, have at it. Each person gets to choose his or her own way, and that approach led to a deficit in national unity. If you continue reading this, the nation's story, I mean, the next book is the book of Ruth, okay, but then you get to the next book after that where the history picks up again. The next page of that nation's story is they go, okay, everybody's doing as we see fit. Again, pendulum one side. And, well, that's not, individualism isn't going to work, so what do, we, what do they do next? They say, we want a king who's going to tell us what to do. We have no identity, they said, so let's have a king. And, of course, that was not God's plan either. God didn't plan for the nation to ever to be governed by an imperial throne. The middle space in all of that was that the nation was designed by God to act as a theocracy. God was to be their king. However, in the book of Judges, you have no one in charge, not even in God, not even God. Everyone did as they saw fit. And then you, the next page of the story is that they're going to put a king in charge and no one gets to say what happens. You have individualism rules the day. Then after the judges period and they hire a king, each king ruled and individuals had no power or authority. And the unifying vision, the unifying identity of the nation was lost for centuries. Why? Why? Because God was not their leader. That has implications for our congregation. First of all, no one person should be king. Right? Because that didn't go well either, if you keep reading. But on the other hand, we will not survive in ministry or fellowship if each person simply does as he or she sees fit. There has to be a unifying vision in this place that says we will honor and serve God first. We agree and have agreed for many years that our mission is this, that we are charged with this responsibility as a congregation to develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ through going and serving together. And when individualism distorts that, or when the leadership team fails to um, seek God for the vision of this congregation, ruin will soon follow. We, we say our methods will change, and we are a congregation that adapts change. Absolutely, we embrace change. However, we will not deviate from God's vision for our congregation. That our work together means this, that people, more people, will follow Jesus more effectively. We serve God first, we work in the name of Jesus Christ first, 
Hear me clearly, we serve God first, not you as an individual or me as an individual. Now, if you've got individual needs or I have individual needs, fair enough, but it's not about what you want, it's not about what I want, it's about how does God lead us. All right, that's pretty heavy. Well, hang on, it gets a little more tricky after this. Another observation. Looking only for winners or losers is a no-win losing proposition because vengeance is never helpful. This is coming from the story. Think about the story again. A woman was brutally murdered, and anger is legitimate at that point. But anger grew into vengeance, and it wasn't long before civil war broke out. A national rage came along, and it stalled. The national rage stalled calmer thinking and better choices and stalled justice. Tens of thousands, if you read the story, it's literally in the tens of thousands. Tens of thousands of Benjamites and Israelites lost their lives, all in the name of vengeance. They all thought, we have to be the ones who win this. We have to be the ones who win this war. And the moment I say that, I know if you're reading between the lines, you go, well, isn't this a good moment, Wayne, for you to have a discussion about just or righteous war? Aren't there moments when that should occur? After all, a woman was killed. Now, we have events in our nation where people have been killed. I mean, 9-11, Honolulu, December 1941. Our nation was dismayed in those moments and others like them. And there are places and times for a case of just war, for a case of righteous war. That's probably another topic. Well, it is another topic that I'm going to pass on for today, all right? But in the middle of this story, going to war was not the answer. All right? And I'm not saying that's a blanket statement. I'm just saying in the middle of this story. Because I can only imagine the pain and the anger and the grief the Levite experienced when his partner was murdered. I get it. He probably wanted vengeance. And I understand the national rage. However, if cooler heads had prevailed, justice, not vengeance, would have eventually ruled in the lives of the men involved. According to Mosaic law, they should have lost their lives. However, the growing and growling crowd wanted more than justice. They thirsted, the crowd thirsted for blood and vengeance. And once the war started, someone had to win Someone had to lose, and sadly, they all lost. Think about those young girls that were carted off. How was that healthy? Think about their families. How was that healthy? See, once mob thinking got involved, no one could stop the carnage. And from time to time, I, I get a little bit concerned about mob thinking. Uh, Sometimes I'm reminded of, just sometimes, now and then, I'm reminded of mob thinking when I review our nation's political discourse. It's like we just swing the pendulum from one side to the other, and I go, where are the cooler and calmer heads? That's sometimes, but I will tell you, often, not just sometimes, but I'm often reminded of mob thinking when I watch social media. Are you? I mean, don't you think, man, where did all this crazy thinking come from? And I want to ask you as a follower of Jesus Christ today, if you've chosen to follow him and be his, agents of, his agent of grace and peace in this world, are you helping or are you hurting in those moments? Are you adding to the, rob, to the mob thinking run amok? If so, that's a very dangerous approach. Mob thinking never turns out well. I, I mean, after all, you are probably aware of someone who lost his life 
as a result of mob thinking. Mob thinking run amok. You probably know his name. We kind of use it a little bit around here. Do you think who I might, can you think about who I might be talking about? Right? Jesus, right? Oh, I know he came to earth specifically to die. I know he came here on mission, absolutely. But what was the vehicle that brought about his death? A small group didn't like what he was saying, and they whipped the people of Jerusalem into a frenzy, into a maddened frenzy. And even the Romans, who were known for their cruel violence, they said, this guy shouldn't die. But the crowd won, and death ensued. If we are followers of him, if we are the people who are to bring grace and peace to the world, and specifically to our community, the places where we live, the places where we work, the schools where we go, if we are people who follow Jesus Christ, Christians have to be the ones who say, struggles cannot be about winning and losing, but more so about how is justice being served. We've got to, we've got to lead the charge in that. We can show By God's help, we can be the people who show there's a line between vengeance driven by ego. You've hurt me so much, I'm going to hurt you. And just, there's a line, though, between that and justice that is informed by graceful kindness. How's that going for you? One final observation today. Sexual harassment and assault always brings disaster without a doubt. You know, we started our conversation today with uh, the reports of Matt Lauer's uh, departure from his perch atop the TV ratings. Sadly, tragically, we must say, his inability to direct his sexual drive to the confines of his marriage brought about an embarrassing downfall. And I, I know there hasn't been a, a legal case at this point. We can't speculate on the severity of his actions, the legal, legal implications for Lauer, or even the full impact on his marriage. We, we don't know any about that. But his admission to unbecoming behavior indicates that he knows he crossed the line somewhere, somehow, and it appears on more than one occasion. Why? Is it possible, without pointing fingers, but asking the question, is it possible... We have people involved in this sort of behavior because at times our culture follows the the creed of the ancient Israelites of 3,200 years ago. Everyone does what seems right at the moment. If it feels good to you, then proceed. Is that how sometimes we live? Now, I have neither the right nor the ability to speak into Matt Lauer's life. Um, I kind of wish I did. I don't have that right, though, or that possibility. But what do I do have? I do have a responsibility to speak into your life. I have an obligation as a pastor in this congregation. I have this obligation to speak into each person's life regarding this very, very delicate matter. I think all of us would agree, as I speak to this issue specifically, all all of us would agree that the... The sexual assault against the woman of Judges 19, it was way beyond harassment. And I have no idea what happened in those forced marriages of the young women of Judges 21. I'll say this about Judges 19. What that woman experienced was hideous. It was violent. Murder and mayhem followed that night. Thousands died. Chaos ruled. And sexual assault in 3200 BC was wrong and evil. It's wrong and evil also in 2018. 
There are some here today, I know, both men and women, you have suffered the indignities and the pain of sexual assault and betrayal and abuse. I know. Some of you have talked to me about that over the years. Some of you have kept it hidden for decades. Can we help you in that, please, as a congregation? Let us step into your life in that area that is so private and so painful. Let us see if we can help you understand some healing. Let us talk with you and pray with you. God cares. You need to know the pastors of this church, the leaders and the staff of this church care about this matter very deeply. We are not, un, how can I say this with gentleness? Your story is, is familiar to us or that sort of story, maybe not yours personally, but that sort of story is familiar to us from some of our own experiences on staff. So help us help you by coming to us, okay? And then, for those maybe who are not victims, may I suggest, friends, men and women, young people, use your God-given sexual drive, your God-given sexuality, Use it for purposes that honor heaven's call for purity, for joy, for reproduction, and love, for beauty. And because in the right context, all of that is very beautiful. Serve God, whether you be married or single, with your whole being. Is it always easy? I'm not suggesting that. Probably not. It's not. We all know that. It's not easy all the time. But when it comes to this matter, whether married or single, let's use every fiber of our being in a, to... In, yeah, let's use who we are in a way that's right and beautiful and that honors God. And I'm, I'm aware. Again, there's some here today who in the past you've chosen a, a course of action in this matter that you say, man, that wasn't right. Or some of you, some here today may be in the middle of a situation like that right now and you're saying, man, I, I, I'm in the midst of this. I'm not suggesting from the book of Judges that in the midst of whatever mess there might be that it's always going to end up in murder. Judges doesn't tell us that. It's descriptive. It's telling us what happened there. So I'm not suggesting today that poor choices in this matter will lead to violence. But I'm quite aware of this. Poor choices in this matter will not end in beauty, regardless of a lack of murder mayhem. The murder mayhem is not the issue. The issue is, how can we be people who are living beautiful lives in this matter in ways that honor God? So, here's what we're gonna do. I'm inviting you in both rooms to stand up right now, if you would, please. And um, I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray with myself. <laughs> and you can listen in, okay? And you can make this your prayer because where we are in this, I think, is a very, very difficult. It's an ugly story. Who are we kidding? And yet there's enough ugliness in our own culture and in our own lives at times that we'd say, man, I don't want to go there. And so I'm going to pray, and then the worship teams in both rooms are going to lead us in worship. And as they do, we're going to have some people here at the front of both rooms who are going to say, come and pray with me. I'd like to pray with you about this matter and others. And okay, I'm, I'm going to be the lead guy for just a minute and say, okay, I need everybody to be adults about this today, okay? 
and even if you're a kid, be an adult about this, because there are people in both rooms today that need prayer about this matter. But there are all kinds of things that need prayer. And so do not say, well, did you see who went forward for prayer today? I wonder what that was about. We're not going to go there, okay? We're going to assume that if somebody steps forward for prayer, they're praying for a long-lost cousin who they need to know Jesus Christ. Let's assume that, all right? We're going to assume the best of all people. We're going to assume that people are stepping forward because they recognize there's a place in their workplace, in their house. Maybe they don't know Jesus yet. That person that person steps forward. Or maybe there's a financial crisis or there's a health crisis, whatever. Let's not, let, let's not be, get into thinking that gets too far down the track. Can we be mature about that? However, if you're here today and you need prayer about this, step forward and we will graciously and kindly have prayer with you. Let's start with some prayer together. Father, I pray for my friends. I pray for my church. This is a big deal, God. So many of us, Lord, speaking for all of us, so many of us have, there are moments when this whole issue of living pure lives has just got messed up. And No, you've not murdered anybody, but there's enough pain amongst us that we could, um, we could fill a lot of jars with tears if we were to collect them all. But I'm thankful, God, that you're the God who wipes away all tears. Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, I pray that they would step forward to say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. If there are people here today, God, who are in the midst of financial or, or um, health issues, God, give give new insight and new, new days for those matters. For those, Lord, who face these other issues today, I pray for courage, courage to, to speak up, courage to take new courses of action. And I pray, pray for grace and peace in all of that. In Christ's name.